Well, tonight um, you've got a conversation between Jesus and a serious Bible teacher talking about what the one thing is that's required to follow God. And you're going to find out from Jesus that it takes more than one. Well, let's just read it. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now pause. We have been reading in chapters 11 and 12, there have been three scenes so far of people that have come against Jesus. He's at the temple and he's walked in, or he's come in riding on a donkey and there are signs that Jesus is doing something unique. And now all the leaders, one by one, are coming in groups against him to test him, to trick him. So for the last previous weeks, what you need to know for tonight is that everyone prior to this has been trying to trick Jesus with a question, but something different is about to happen. Now noticing, uh, back to verse 28, that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, or the teacher asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And then Jesus adds something, verse 31. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so what I want us just to see so far, three scenarios before this. Sadducees are trying to teach against him. Teachers of the law, the Pharisees, are trying to trick Jesus. And now you have not a group, but one person coming. One teacher, not a whole crowd. And he's, he's heard Jesus speak and he's intrigued. I, I want to call him a seeker. This guy is not out to see if Jesus will pass the test. But he wants to know more because he loved the way that Jesus responded to the Sadducees who are trying to trick him. And so what is a teacher of the law? Some of your Bibles, if you have a different translation, uh, say scribes. And it's the same thing. Uh, in the first century, uh, most people were illiterate or they didn't read much. And so in every field, you had scribes, the person that could read the documents. So the government had scribes to read government documents. And in Jewish uh, society, you had teachers of the law, the NIV calls them. They're scribes. They read the Torah. They, they knew the writings. And so think of this person as half professor. He's really smart. He's memorized much of the scriptures. And not only has he memorized them, he can articulate them. He can explain them. But he's also part lawyer in that if you had a debate, if you had an issue with someone, you would go to the learned people. you go to the smart people and say, hey, I think this. No, I think that. What do you think? He's an expert. He's someone that people go to for advice. But this guy who's a scribe, He's coming to Jesus and asking him, this is like very common. You would, if you're a professor, you ask another expert, what do you think? What do you think? And it's a very Jewish way. Learning is done in community. And you ask open-ended question, what is your opinion? What's your opinion on the text? And he wants to know from Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Not a trick question. Why? In the writings, in Moses' writings, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, how many laws are there? Bible students and Aaron, you cannot answer. Because how many are there? A lot. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, there are 613. In the writings of Moses, 
the commandment for God's people, if we're God's people, there are 613 laws that you and I are supposed to keep. They're from God. Now that 365 of those laws are don't do this. Think of a don't do for every day of the year. How horrible. All right. It's Tuesday, new law. Don't do this. Well, there are also 248 positive commandments. You should do this. So God's word is full of commandments, what we should do. But the question is, okay, is everyone going to keep 613? Probably not. Well, what are the really important ones? Uh, they call them, what are the weighty laws or what are the heavy laws? That if you follow this one, in a sense, it steers you in the path to follow the others. So hear me. He is not saying to Jesus which laws are important and which are unimportant. If you're a follower of God, all of God's word is important and every law has meaning. But he wants to know, Jesus, which are the heavy laws, the weighty ones, the really, really important ones. And Jesus responds as the teacher had expected. Look at verse 29. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Another translation, the NASB, I think gets it even better. The foremost law. So it's not like one is great and the others are unimportant. But this is the one that is foremost. And then he goes back to Deuteronomy 6 and he quotes, Hear, O Israel, it's in verse 29. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what we need to know is this was quoted by every like God-fearing Jew in the morning. This was part of your prayer in the morning. And at night, this was part of your prayer. It is called um, the Shema. Because in Deuteronomy 6, and I think we have that on the screen for you. Uh, in Deuteronomy 6, the quote is, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echud. This would be quoted. And why don't we just do that together? Maybe not. No, no. But that, those are the words in Hebrew. Shema means here, Israel, the people of God. Adonai uh, is another word for God. The, the letters, but out of respect for God, we don't even say his name. We love and revere and respect him that much. So Shema Israel, Adonai. Um, and, and so we're saying God is one, God the one and only, God our God. So there's only one true creator God that we're going to follow. And because of that, out of the outflow, if there's only one God and this God is our God, he's one, another translation could be, he's the one and only, another translation could be the unique God. So if, you're, if we're here and we're listening to this, what we want to know is that God is unlike anyone else. And because of that, look at verse 30. Love the Lord your God because God is unique, because he's the one creator God. Love him with, and then this list of things, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength. If you compare Deuteronomy 6 with what Jesus quotes here, Jesus adds the mind. Why? Because heart, soul, and strength, the heart and the mind in Jewish thinking is in a sense one and the same. It's interchangeable. We think heart, uh, is here and head is here. And in Jewish thought, the heart and the mind is the deep uh, thinking and uh, deep thinking and deep feeling. It's who we really are. So Jesus says, love God with everything. Why? Because God alone is God. We should love him with all that we are. Now, so far, makes sense. That's exactly what the teacher would expect. But Jesus adds, notice, 
He said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus ties the second, verse 31. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandments than these. So, so Jesus puts a little twist on it. Of all the 613, what the teacher, the scribe, expects is the Shema. Deuteronomy 6, love God. He's one. He's unique. Love him with everything. But Jesus says, no, no, no. The second and I'm putting them together, is Leviticus 19. It's Mother's Day. Every mother wakes up on Mother's Day and goes to Leviticus. Guaranteed. Um, no, not really. Actually, no. Uh, Leviticus 19. Why don't we do this, though? Go to the left in your Bible. Go, go, I want you to read this. Leviticus 19. Hold your place in Mark. You say, why Leviticus? Because it's the third book in the Bible. Why not? Come on. It's Sunday night. You're obviously unimpressed by the book of Leviticus on a Sunday night. We'll go anyway, okay? Leviticus 19, and I just want you to see what loving neighbor is like. Because we've heard this so long, like love God, love your neighbor, love people. What well, sounds so vague, actually what Jesus is quoting isn't vague at all. If you want to know what it is like to love your neighbor, Leviticus 19, and I want to start in verse 9. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, those of you agricultural people, uh, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Now, I, I, I have like two feet of backyard with weeds, okay? So I don't get this. But hypothetically, whatever job and career you have, however much money you make, what God is saying is don't consume all your money. I mean, there were agricultural people. You could say it about livestock. Don't keep all your cattle leave a few for someone else. Why? Um, he says, uh, verse 10, do not go over your vineyard a second time if you're into vineyards or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Why? Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So loving your neighbor, if you want to know what that looks like, is intentionally, not like it just so happened to be generous, intentionally, intentionally live a generous life. If you have a field and you're going to take your crops, leave a bit. If you have a vineyard and some grapes fall, don't pick it up. Don't store everything for yourself. God cares about the poor and the broken, and God's going to send them your way. And guess what? Loving your neighbor means leaving some resources for other people. And then in verse 11, another loving your neighbor kind of thing, don't steal. Loving your neighbor means don't take what isn't yours. Don't lie. Don't tell your neighbor something that is untrue. Don't deceive one another. Don't live a lie. Be authentic. Loving your neighbor is more than just waving as they open their garage door and you open your garage door and borrowing a tool when you need it. Loving your neighbor is about sharing resources. Loving your neighbor is about being honest and authentic and speaking the truth. Uh, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12. Don't swear falsely by my name or so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Verse 13, don't defraud or rob your neighbor. Don't hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. If you're a business owner and something, uh, something is deserving of an employee, don't hold it back. Don't try to connive. Don't try to uh, hold the profit to yourself. Give back to the worker what's rightfully theirs. Verse 14, don't curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. If you live in a community and there are people, uh, deaf, blind in this case, or people who are suffering, don't look a blind eye to them. Don't put a stumbling block. Don't make like, life hard for them. A neighbor is an important thing. 
Share your resources. Speak the truth. Be authentic. Look out for the broken. If someone's having a challenge, help them out. Verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Um, Don't go about spreading slander among your people. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But And then this is the quote from Jesus. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I just want us to get a little bit of a broader view. It has to do with physical resources. My income is not just mine. If I'm Now notice how God put it. All throughout he peppered in. Why? Why should we live this way? I am the Lord. So Jesus takes Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6 in a sense have nothing to do with each other. But Jesus trying to teach this teacher, this scribe, You want to know what the greatest commandment is? It's not one. It's when you recognize that God is one. He's unique. He made you. He put you in a community for a reason. To love God, really. Like really, really. Say, tonight, I love God, really. The way I can know whether I love God, the way I can know that you love God, that we as a community love God, is not just by songs and sermons and gatherings like this. Jesus makes it very plain for this honest, seeking scribe, this teacher, to really love God is to recognize that God didn't just make you. He didn't just make me. He made all of us. And to live in such a way where I care for the blind, uh, the deaf, where I care for the person who is poor and doesn't have enough resources, where I care for integrity so I don't speak behind my neighbor's back. I don't do anything that's going to be selfish and hurt the person down the road. To really love God, according to Jesus, is to love my neighbor. Now, how does this scribe respond to Jesus' words? I think, I think we can relate to, to his response. So go back to Mark 12, if you lost your spot, and go to verse 32. Mark 12, 32. Uh, how does this guy respond? He says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love God, and then he repeats what Jesus says, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding or mind, to love him with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This, now, where is he getting this part? Remember the setting. They're in the temple, the most holy place. This is the place where God comes, where people who have sinned bring sacrifices to honor God and to confess and repent and say, I've sinned, I've broken your standard, God, but will you, will you receive me? And so I bring a sacrifice as an act of worship to God. They're in this temple setting, and the teacher recognizes Jesus is right. Loving God with heart, soul, mind, strength, understanding, with all that I am, and loving my neighbor. And they're, they're in the setting. This is radical because in the first century, the most holy place is the ground called the temple. But for this scribe to get it, he really gets the heart of Jesus. He says, you're right, Jesus. This is more important than sacrifices and burnt offerings. 
How, how can we put this in our, in our like vernacular, in our world? What's going on here is important. I think gathering uh, week after week to, to worship God and sing and, and volunteer and serve. Some people are serving the kids right now. And maybe you're someone who's set up or you're willing to stay around and, and tear down. All this is great. Church is a wonderful thing. But let's put it in our terms. What, what Jesus is saying and what the scribe says, Jesus, you're right is that what's going on in your own soul, like outside of this gathering, and, and your own attitude towards the people that you live around, what you think about your neighbor, and how that reflects on what you believe about God. If I believe that God made everyone, and I believe that God gave me more than I deserve, and I believe that I've been blessed by a God who loves me even though I'm a mess up, that's got to live its, itself out in the way I treat other people. If you really love God, you, you've got to make a connection with other people. What Jesus is saying and the scribe is saying is that's more important than just what happens on a Sunday night. And so church or this, this collection of people to worship is important. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but on a scale of 1 to 10 where 1 is the most important and 10 is top but not primary where does this gathering fit? I'm going to say maybe it's a seven, maybe it's an eight. But what happens in your own world outside of this and your own pursuit of God, you're actually looking and seeking to find out what God has said. And loving God uh, with your soul, not just what you think, but how you feel and the decisions that you make. And with all your strength, what you pursue, what consumes most of your world? What, what are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning? What are you giving your energy to? What are you giving your resources towards? What are you giving your active pursuits? What Jesus is saying, what the scribe is saying, is that is primary in terms of if you get that right, if we nail that down, then the gathering, the formal stuff, the worship, the missional community, the volunteering, then that makes sense. Then you can really honor God with that other stuff. But so many of us, I think just because of the cultural bent that we have in, in America, that, that church is a part of some of our cultural heritage, that we think if I go to church and do this and, and kind of follow the path of the preacher and kind of do what he says to do and don't do what he doesn't say to do, or if I, if, I, if I do that, I'm okay. And according to Jesus, uh, that, that's just not enough. If God is who he is, then he demands a response that we pursue him with everything. Now, am I saying I'm there? No way. I'm not saying I've arrived and I, I love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and understanding. No. But are we going in that direction? And that's the real question. Is that our, is that our, our, our intent in coming here? Is part of the intent to find out more, not just to be smarter or to just check the box, but say like, no, I want to go for God with all that I am. Uh, again, the, the, what doesn't seem like a big deal to us is a big deal to them. Temple was the center and Jesus and the scribe figure it out. That is not the center of the story. And in our world, it's not church. Jesus is the center of the story. And that's the radical claim that to love God with all heart, soul, mind, strength, and love my neighbor as myself is going to take the radical pursuit of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus shows us the way of God with all heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. And Jesus is the model. How do I know how to honor God in the way that I live? How do I know how to love my neighbor? All I need to do, my friends, is to consider the life of Jesus. Because Jesus shows us the model. Not only does he say it, but he models it out in the way he lived his life. And so now I can, if I decide to take the challenge like this teacher of the law, I can live a life that pleases God. And really, let's just be honest, all of us, deep down within, for some of us, it's a higher priority than others, I'll admit. But somehow the reason you're here, I, I would think either to get a date or keep a date, maybe that's part of your motivation. I think most of us, Sunday night, who goes to church? Something within us is saying, I want to do this. And so Jesus is saying, keep the priorities straight. When we pursue God with all, and that includes my relationship with other people, because to really connect with God means to see people differently, then that's the most important thing. Now, how does, how does this end? Like, how does this resolve? Verse 34, I think this is great. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. This guy gets it. He, he's, not like the, he's not like the Sadducees, Pharisees, who are trying to trick Jesus and put him in a box. This guy gets it. Uh, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. What we get is a glimpse of something that I think is beautiful, and it happens all the time. When anyone really gets what Jesus is after, look at what Jesus says. He comes right back, and now to the others, he, he, he didn't answer their question and he put them off. But to this guy, he says, hey man, you're not far. Like you're almost there. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Now he doesn't say notice. He doesn't say you're in. Because there's a big difference. What this guy was, he was set up to pursue Jesus with all heart, soul, mind, and strength and really connect with loving God by loving neighbor. But he had to make one other step. He really actually had to follow Jesus. So this ends with no resolve. From then on, no one asked him questions. Do we know if this guy became a full-on follower of Jesus or not? We don't know. But we knew that he took the first step. And the first step is to admit that what Jesus says is right. Jesus is the center of the story. So what we get is an almost success story as Jesus is making his way towards the cross. But when we think about this guy, he gets it. The question is tonight, do we get it? Where are we? So tonight, just some questions to really think about. And they're not lighthearted, but they're like totally important when you think about your spiritual health and what God wants to do in your own world. Question number one, what does the love of God look like for you? What? Now, I'm assuming tonight that your intent, that part of your reason for being here is that, you know what? I want to connect with this God. What does the love of God look like for you? Let me just give you just some reminders from what Jesus said here. It shows up in all sorts of ways. It shows up in the heart and mind. To love God means that we're willing to allow God to reshape the way we think. Let's just, let's just be honest. Some of the things that we think are true are absolutely wrong. Some of my opinions are off. Why? They're my opinions. And so to love God has got to include a dimension where we take all that we think we know is right and important and valuable and to lay that before what God has clearly said about what is right and true and valuable. And part of pursuing God 
with all our heart or all our mind is to say, I'm, I'm gonna pursue truth and see where truth takes me. It's, it's a humble posture. It's not being pompous and saying, I got it all together. But it's a lifelong pursuit of saying, God, tell me what is right. Show me the right path. And I'm willing to change where I see your way more clearly. It's not only just a mind trip, though, and it's not only an intellectual faith, but it's a faith that touches the soul. Pursuing God, loving God with all your soul means bringing the whole you to the table. We're not just brains. We're not just minds. We're not just uh, thought life. But we're relational people. To love God with all the soul is to admit that there are areas of broken. In my thinking, in my feeling, in my emotions, there are areas of brokenness. It's bringing my hurt. To love God with all my soul is to take my hurt and even expose that to God as well. Uh, Mother's Day is a great time for some, but it's a hard time for others. We have friends, friends in our community uh, that have lost their mother in the last year, and that's just, that hurts. There's pain. There's relational conflict when you think about like a, a holiday like this. I love my mom. We hung out, uh, and, and my wife is a great mom, and I love my mother-in-law. Like total truth, she's an amazing woman. I love her, and we have a great relationship. But that, that's not the same for everybody. And so on days like this, conflict shows up and hurt and pain. Loving God with all of my soul is including and saying, I'm going to pursue God with even the stuff that I, I'm afraid to be touched. We all want to stuff it away. We want to put it in the closet. We want to leave it untouched. But to love God is to say, God, can you come into those areas of brokenness? And I'm, I'm going to trust you that if you made me and you see my hurt, that you can come. It means offering forgiveness. Loving God with all my soul, which means loving my neighbor as myself, is, is growing to the point, and maybe God has to grace you in this area, where you can choose to say, I'm going to forgive. Even though this person doesn't think they need it, even though this person doesn't see that they've hurt me, I am, by God's power, I'm going to forgive. Loving God is not just showing up to church. It's allowing God to infuse life in every area. And then loving God with all my strength. It's, it's about taking my pursuits. What do we want to do? What do we want to be? What is your lifelong dream? Where are, you, where are you headed? It's about taking that and submitting it to God and saying, God, I want you to be the primary person that drives wherever I'm headed. I want to love you in my career. I want to love you in my passions. I want to bring it all to the table. And I, I'm going to say, I'm the created one. You're the creator. Now, does this happen in a flash? Can we poof this over you? No way. This is a lifelong adventure. So you could be in this 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years and not scratch the surface of loving God. Isn't that amazing? Although at the same time, you can, you can receive God's love and connect with God's love now. So it doesn't take 50 years to attain, but you never get there. Loving God is a lifelong pursuit. How do we know that? Because Jesus says it includes loving my neighbor. So what does loving your neighbor look like? Uh, if Jesus connects the two, our faith must show up in the way it transfers to the way we treat people. And so to say that I'm loving God and I'm growing in that way and to be callous to the needs around us is an oxymoron or hypocritical at best. 
But our faith, if it grows, as Jesus says it can grow, it should transfer to the way that we live towards other people. So as a community, we want to keep this in the balance. We want to be all about upward. Lord, I love you. I worship. We grow. We study. We want to do all this stuff to build ourselves up. Missional communities, you get together. You talk about real life. You pray for one another. You share. You care. But it's got to, it's got to go beyond us. Loving God is about recognizing we don't live in an island. God put us in a world and you have stuff that other people need. And that could be as simple as a smile, an encouraging word. It could be a positive attitude in, in the workplace. It doesn't have to be cash. But, but loving God and loving neighbor means that as God's doing something in me, it needs to go out. Uh, this morning there was a run here and it's so cool to be a part of a community. We found out the executive director of this run called Run Like a Mother, which is some of you, any of you volunteer for that this morning? Some of you did. Thank you. You got up early. Was it any good? I, I was, uh, okay, yeah. So here's a community run that is honoring Mother's Day and having mothers and daughters and grandmas, I'm assuming, go on a fun run. No faith connection at all. The executive director calls us and says, can, can you guys as a church help us out? We need more volunteers to be a part of a community that says, yeah, that's worship as much as singing songs on a Sunday night. Worshiping God is about getting out there and saying because God has given us time and energy and resources, we want to care about people who are doing stuff that it may not be your thing. But we want to be a community that is marked not just by upward vertical worship, by outward horizontal worship where we find people and we are pursuing ways of loving them in Jesus' name. Why? Just because that's what Jesus does. Is that your view of faith. It's kind of mind-blowing. For some of us, our faith is like in one box over here. Some default to activists. Like, you know, faith is outward. But I would encourage you, loving God, pursuing Him, studying the Scriptures, going deep, that is, that's faith as well. But many of us, I think we lean towards this. Faith is about me and us and this. But I would just encourage you, God wants to stretch us in what we believe faith to be. Love God and love your neighbor. We were created for one another. So I guess tonight in the mix of all this is like the scribe, we're all headed in some direction, right? The scribe encounters Jesus at the temple and he pursues further discussion. He wants to know more. And I hope that's you tonight. Whatever you know about God, I hope that tonight is drawing you to know more. And so the scribe does the right thing. He goes to Jesus alone and he says, Jesus, teach me. And so hopefully tonight's worship gathering is pursuing you to, to, to pursue Jesus more on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Friday. Hopefully this isn't your only input. But I hope that this stirs you to want to pursue Jesus every day, every week, in big ways and small ways. But then it, it pushes us towards somewhere. Jesus says you're not far. What, what is required for the scribe? Uh, Jesus said it earlier in Mark, in order to become one of my followers, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross. You need to follow me. Uh, really pursuing Jesus isn't about learning more facts. It's about actually going in Jesus' direction and saying, Jesus, what you did for me, I take. It's a gift. And so Jesus wants you to experience life, not just know about it in your mind. And so tonight I hope that you'll encounter the living God in the person of Jesus who's here. And wants you to, to be intimately connected with him in a relational way. So the invitation to the scribe is, man, you're so close. Come on in. 
So tonight, we're all over the map when it comes to faith. And so I don't know where you're at, but I just want to know where would you find yourself today? Like right now. Forget about the scribe for a second and the story and the temple and the first century. When it comes to Jesus, where are you? Uh, now, some of us, will, if we're honest, we'll say we're, we're kind of far away. We're learning. We're growing. And tonight, if that's you and you're like, man, I, I've been to church for a bit, but this whole follow Jesus, really go after it, it's new. My word to you is to keep asking those questions. Keep pursuing. Love God. Learn to love him with all that you are, heart, mind, soul, all that is you. Pursue God. Uh, some of us, we're not far away. You say you're close. You've been coming for a bit, and this is starting to make sense. Uh, my word of encouragement to you is from what you've heard about Jesus and what you know about Jesus, are you willing to actually follow him now? Now, we don't know it all. I've been in this for a while. I am learning every week as I open the scriptures. I'm learning. I'm growing. But if you've heard enough about Jesus to recognize that he's God's son and that he's perfect and that he went to the cross to pay our debt in full and he rose again and now he's alive and he offers a whole new life to those who choose to follow him. Total forgiveness from all the junk in my past. Gives me the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never depart from you. He gives us his very spirit to lead us and guide us and walk with us. If you know enough about Jesus to know that that is true, that's all you need to know to follow him now. So the question tonight is, are you willing to step over the line and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm ready to not just hear about you and, and follow from a distance. I'm ready to go for it. You don't need to know it all. You just need to know enough to trust him. And if you're willing to say tonight, Jose, I trust him. I'd invite you to do that, even here, even now. But many of us, we're like, we're already in. We're like the scribe. We're like, we're, we know the, the laws. We know the teachings. Can I just encourage you, don't, don't stay in a place of complacency. It's easy to find yourself in a rut. We all build ruts all the time, routine, in and out. But let me just encourage you, there's so much more to Jesus than we know right now. I, I would encourage you, find your path. Ask your buddies, your friends, to push you and challenge you. Love God with all that you are. And love your neighbor like yourself. So maybe it's learning. You need to grow. Maybe it's doing. And you need to grow. Either way, my encouragement to you as a friend and as a partner in this is this year, let's grow. Let's not become complacent. Let's strive to pursue more of Jesus in the here and in the now.